Evening, guys. Um, what a great prayer. Thanks, Royce, for, for that as, as we finished up there. You know, some weeks don't go how you might hope, uh, and um, this was one of those weeks. <clears throat> and so I come to tonight kind of less settled in the text and in the sermon than, than what I might uh, typically hope to be. But here's my conviction as, as we come to it. We're going to look at God's Word that is going to be spoken to God's people, that's going to have God's Spirit take it and apply it to our lives so that we can become that much more like God's Son. Uh, and so w- when we come to the Word, whenever we open it up, this is, this is what we should anticipate. This is what we, we come to expect. This is not just, you know, a school text. This is not by some dead guy however long ago. This is the living Word of God still speaking to us. And so uh, it's with that conviction that, that we come to it tonight. If you've got your Bibles then or your phone, open it up. To Philippians 4, and we are camping out there for the night. Tonight we're at the end of our study through this book of Philippians. I shared last week about how in a really difficult and hard time for in my life recently, that it was this book that I read repeatedly throughout the time, and it just spoke to me, Paul's sense of joy and his trust in Jesus, as We've just sung to know that Jesus is always with him and that he will get him through. It was a, it was a book that um, helped and encouraged and, and strengthened and, and enabled going through. And so uh, I trust that as we've gone through this over the, the past 10 weeks, that it has spoken to you as well in whatever place that you're in. Maybe it's come to you as a, as a word of preparation in anticipation of what's to come. Maybe it's spoken directly into something that you are experiencing in the here and now, whatever, whatever way it's been. I trust it has spoken to you. And what we've seen over the past 10 weeks is the Apostle Paul just expressing joy despite his circumstances. I mean, I've said repeatedly, he, he's in prison. He's awaiting a judgment that will result in his death. And he's writing this letter to a church that he planted and he has constantly um, been holding up to this church Jesus. He's constantly been holding Jesus out to them for their encouragement and for their joy. And as he now finishes the letter, as he winds it up, uh, it's no different for him. So, so tonight, as we finish looking at this book, we're, we're looking at Paul's uh, joy in gospel contentment. And so, as he so often does, he starts with this word of joy. So Philippians 4. Verse 10, he says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm now in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Here is one of the most familiar verses from Philippians that's often quoted. Uh, Other translations and and the kind of familiar quote of it is, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's the kind of verse that people get tattooed on themselves as kind of this this reminder, this um, permanent reminder that... um, God is with them and He is strengthening them as this encouragement to them to, to do bold things and to persevere through, through the difficult and the hard things. But the NIV 
translation keeps it grounded in its context because the reality is, despite how we might quote it, we can't do all things. We can't do all things, no matter how much Christ is with us and enabling us. We can take it to ridiculous and unwise ends to, to try to claim that whatever we put our minds to, we can do because Christ enables us. We can overcome this cancer without ever seeing a doctor. We can get an amazing VCE result uh, and go on and become those doctors who we're never going to see without ever studying. We can have all the money we need without getting a job. I mean, can God do these things? Sure he can. But is that what this verse is saying or, or, or seeming to promise, that I can do all things through Christ? No, it's not. And that's why the NIV is, is helpful with how it phrases it here. Look at it again. Verse 13, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. The this keeps Paul's statement um, connected to its context and to what he's really talking about. And what he's talking about is this idea of being content, of contentment. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances, whether I'm in prison or whether I'm free, whether I'm in pain or whether I'm you know, healthy and good. That, that's the this that... Christ enables him to do, to be content whatever his circumstances. And we'll talk more about this and this verse in a moment. But for now it's worth asking, why does contentment, why does that need the strength of God for us to experience? And the answer is because contentment is so countercultural, and even more so, it's so counter to our own nature. See, at its heart, discontent is wanting things to be different than, than how they are. We could even say that discontent was behind Adam and Eve's very first sin. They were in paradise. They were literally walking with God in their day-to-day lives, having you know, chats with him as they, as they went about their days. And yet the serpent comes to them and makes them think that God's holding out on them. They wanted then something more and something different than, than what they already had. And they sinned. But we don't even have to go that far back in time to see discontent. Discontent seems to be almost ingrained within us. We just have to go back a week, a day, an hour. It might be in the era of possessions. You know, I have a great home, a great car, a great computer, but I want a better one. It might be in the area of our, of our health, being unhappy with our body, with our hair or lack of it, with our, our fitness or lack of it. It might be in our relationships, wanting a boyfriend, wanting a better girlfriend, wishing you had more friends. It might be in our talents and abilities. I mean, there's, there's so many things that we're great at, but, but it's not enough. We also want to be amazing in these other areas as well. It could be in our circumstances that we're unhappy with the way things are which we could certainly understand for the Apostle Paul, you know, as he had his freedom limited, stuck in that jail. And all of this is before we go to advertising and media that seeks to explicitly encourage our discontent so as to go and you know, buy their product and join their program and, um, and have all of that. In the study for this, I came across across this great poem that sums up this attitude of discontent, this, this longing for things to be different. It says, it was spring, but it was summer I wanted. The warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was autumn I wanted. 
the colorful leaves and the cool, dry air. It was autumn, but it was winter I wanted. The beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. Written in America, so we'll we'll roll with it. It was now winter, but it was spring that I wanted. The warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted. The freedom and the respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted. To be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted. The, The youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle-aged that I wanted, the presence of mind without limitations. My life was over, but I never got what I wanted. Discontent is this desire for things to be different, to be other than how they are. We want more of something, less of something, just different things. And I'm sure we've all felt it. Yet Paul expresses that whatever his circumstances are, whatever his experience is, that he is content, not discontent, but but he is content. With much or with little, he says, either way, he's okay. In stark contrast to the poem that I've just read, he could say with the hymn writer, when peace like a river attendeth my way, or when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. In peace or sorrow, Whatever I experience, it is well. So where does this kind of contentment come from? We've already touched on one part of the answer to that that we'll come back to to consider more fully soon. But but in this passage, we see three factors behind Paul's contentment. And the first is the cause of his joy, and that's his, his fellowship with the Philippians. They've been able to express their concern and their support for Paul when they sent Epaphroditus to him, uh, which we read about back in chapter 2. This partnership, which was expressed in their care for him, is a cause for his contentment. We see this as he continues in, in verse 14. He says, It was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, When I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Now, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I've received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Now, in these verses, the word share here, uh, about sharing in his troubles and sharing in the matter of giving and receiving, that can also be translated as fellowship or partnership. So Paul views the Philippians as his, as his ministry partners, Because they didn't only receive from him, but they gave to him. They sent Epaphroditus to to minister to my need, he says in chapter 2. And this mutuality, this mutual giving and receiving to and from each other is a sign of partnership in the gospel. It's not one-sided where where Paul is just doing all the giving, but it's, it's mutual, it's reciprocated. And so in response to the Philippians' gift to him, Paul says that he is amply supplied, that he's received his full payment and has more than enough. So they've delivered practical aid to him, which is helpful and appreciated. You know, in his circumstances and in his need, 
they've benefited him. But as we're talking about Paul's contentment, it still actually doesn't stem from the fact that they've practically helped him out, though that's, that's in there. His contentment comes more from what he sees displayed in their life through, their, through this action that they've done on his behalf. See, Paul is always less concerned about himself than he is about the growth and the benefit of others. He's, you know, in Galatians, he talks about you know, being in the, in the pangs of childbirth until Christ is fully formed in, in this church. That's his, his desire. He's not thinking about his well-being, but, but about what's being formed in them. To the Romans, he writes that he would rather be cursed by God and under his judgment if, if by Paul taking on that, if by it, his people, the Jews, would be saved. So he's saying, in effect, he's prepared to give up his own eternal life with God for the benefit of others. So that's, that's his heart. He, he's, not about, he's not focused on himself and what he wants or needs or, or gets, but it's about the benefit of the others. So he says, not that I desire your gifts. I mean, he's appreciative of them. He's thankful for them. But he's not seeking any personal gain from them. And he's not fishing for something more for himself. It's not like, you know, when a kid comes up to you and say, um, and, you know, you're eating something and say, oh, what's that? I've, I've never tasted one of those before. It looks really good. I wonder what it's like. Yeah, and they just keep going until you go, would you like to try some, mate? Yeah, that would be awesome. You know, it's not, it's not that Paul's saying um, that, you know, he's not trying to fish, you know, in a back, backward way for, for them to give more to him because he's not, about himself, he's about them. And so what he desires most is that more be credited to your account. He's after the growth and the benefit of the Philippians and this desire for their good and the expression of their growth um, and the expression of it through their growth comes from his fellowship with them. He's living out what he wrote to them about earlier, to in humility value others above yourselves. And so with his eyes off himself, and onto others, onto these others that he's in fellowship and partnership with, with his eyes on them and seeing their growth and benefit, well, he can actually be content. His circumstances might, might be pretty ordinary, but in what he's seeing going on there, the direction that their lives are heading in, he goes, yes, this is right and good and I can be at peace with, with this. Discontent comes when we're fixated on ourselves and on our own circumstances, but contentment comes when we value others and we see their good and we're pleased for them. He rejoices in what he sees in them, in his, uh, his partners in his gospel work, and he's content. Another factor, though, in his contentment is, is a personal discipline, really. If we jump back to, to the earlier verses uh, that we read first, we see Paul talks of having learned to be content, whatever the circumstances, and of having learned the secret of being content. In other words, it didn't just happen for him. He didn't just wake up one morning and was like, yeah, this is cool, I'm, I'm good. It's, it's something that he's had to learn, that he's worked at and gained mastery over. It's the discipline of taking his thoughts and his heart captive so as to not long for other things and to look at his life and reckon... Yeah, I've got enough. And some of this discipline is what we've just talked about. This idea of celebrating what, ha 
what's happening in others rather than focusing on yourself. Some of it would be what we looked at last week, Paul's words to think about whatever is excellent and praiseworthy rather than to focus on what's not. But this discipline is also about rejecting the message that comes from both external and internal sources that, that this, whatever the this is, is not enough. You know, the, the church office was broken into recently, and my, my computer, you know, MacBook Air, uh, was taken. It was about four years old. And with the insurance claim, I was able to get a brand new one, like, you know, newest, latest model kind of thing. And it's great. But it has these new, stupid USB 3 things that, um, that you need an adapter to be able to plug any normal thing into. And then it's only got two of the ports anyway, so you can only plug two things in. So it's not as many things as I used to be able to plug in, and it's just, you know, frustrating and, and whatever. Now, do you hear how ridiculous that is? Here I am with a brand new computer better in all of its technical specifications than, than what I used to have, and I'm complaining about the things that it doesn't have, the, about the things that I'm missing. I need to practice the discipline of contentment, of, of rejecting such thoughts, and instead of being thankful and appreciative of what I do have. And I need to be vigilant about this in all areas of my life. Maren's parents were just down the other weekend, and they turned up with a with a brand new car. They picked it up on the, on the, you know, like two days before and then they came down to us. And I have to watch that I don't start pining for not even a new car, but just a newer car. I have shelves full of books, including many that I haven't read, yet I still want to get that new book that I don't have yet. Or our dishwasher has died in the past month. And as I begin to look online and look into what we might get to replace it, I have to work against this thing within me that just wants to go for the flashiest, shiniest one with the most stars and all that kind of stuff and actually just look at what will best serve my family. And that's assuming we even do replace the dishwasher. Family harmony might encourage that, but anyway, we'll... <laughs> Discontent is, this per is pervasive, and it takes discipline to reject it and to instead learn contentment, to see things in perspective and to be thankful and to appreciate what we already have rather than pining for something different. It's the disciplining of our thoughts and our attitude uh, away from discontent and towards contentment. The last factor then in Paul's contentment was Christ. Um, Thomas Chalmers was a Scottish minister in the early 1800s. And he had this sermon called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. We don't get sermons called such grand-sounding titles any anymore, but, but it's great. The, the Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And his argument was that we don't just stop loving our sin, whatever it is, but that instead we need this new, greater, better affection that comes into our lives and expels, that casts out, that, that kind of pushes out uh, of our hearts that other lesser love. And that's what supremely has gone on in Paul's life. One of the commentaries I read on this passage said of Paul that his heart, weaned away from things, was holy and solely God's. 
Paul had an overriding affection for Christ. We've already seen him say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And this affection for Jesus, this this new affection for Christ, overcame any love or desire he had for anything else. Even a a desire for his own personal comfort and well-being. Another commentary said, Paul isn't preoccupied with his situation. He's preoccupied with Jesus. And this was his primary secret to being content. Because if Christ is all, then Christ is enough. And nothing else is needed. If Christ is all, then Christ is enough. But this is not a natural perspective for us to take. For Paul to focus on his fellowship with the Philippians and to look at their growth and good, for him to discipline his thoughts, to reject discontentment and to pursue being content, for him to have Christ as his everything, as his new and overriding affection in his life, none of that's natural. None of that is in line with the natural inclination of our hearts. Rather, it's a fruit of God's work in us. It's a result of his grace. And so Paul says, I can do all this. I can have this unnatural, if you like, contentment through him who gives me the strength. I can do this through, through Christ who is gracing me to be able to do it. This is not something that comes from within himself because we don't naturally value Christ above all things. But rather, it's a, it's a part of the ongoing work of God in his life, changing him and changing his desires so that he increasingly lives out the life of Christ in his own life. God strengthens or enables or empowers him to experience this contentment. And at the heart of such contentment lies a trust in God. He finishes this section with this, verse 20. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. See, he accepted all his circumstances as from God, and he glorified God in them all. And more, there there was no circumstance that could ever arise that would be too much for Paul's God. In all things, God was God, and Paul trusted in him. And if things didn't change in, in Paul's favor, it's not because God was unable to change things, But it meant that, obviously, God had another purpose behind them. And Paul trusted in that purpose. So if we can trust God for the good, we can also trust him for the bad. Because in either case, he is still God. And he's still worthy of our submission and our worship and our faith. And so, to him be glory forever and ever. In good times and and the hard. And so with that thought... Paul wraps up his letter. He says, Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send their greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Paul finishes this letter in the same way that he starts it. With the grace of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, being with us, his holy, set-apart and transformed people. His grace is with us to enable, to encourage and to strengthen us, 
to do what we cannot do by ourselves. His grace is at work within us, changing us, transforming us into the likeness of his son. Because for Paul, that's who it's all about. Uh, I looked through, um, uh, you know, kind of did on, on Bible Gateway, you know, looking for the, the number of times that, that the word joy or rejoice is through this letter. And I think I came up with um, 16 times. But then I went and did um, Jesus or Christ, and it's like 40, you know, 50 kind of times throughout. Philippians, yes, is a letter of joy, but it's more so a letter of Jesus. Paul is all about Jesus. This letter is all about Jesus. Jesus is the source of the joy that runs through it. Jesus is glorified, exalted, and made much of throughout this letter. And because Jesus is glorified, exalted, and made much of, uh, and, it is, and he is so because, because he is in Paul's life. Christ is all for Paul, and therefore Christ is enough for him. And as we, as we get this, you know, as it sinks into us, as Paul's instruction guides us, as his example helps us, as we have God's grace enabling us, we live a profoundly different life in the world. We live as citizens of heaven, living out Christ's life in, in our midst, in the midst of our ordinary, everyday lives. Because if Christ is all, then Christ is enough. It's all about Him. Uh, over the past 10 weeks, we've taken this, this short letter, four chapters, and we've broken it down bit by bit, and we've studied it in depth. But can I encourage you, uh, as we finish this uh, book, as we finish this series, can I encourage you over the coming week, open your Bible, open your app to Philippians, and read through the whole letter in one sitting. And, and to do so a few times, three to five times, say. Maybe read it in a different version each time and see what, what else springs out to keep it fresh and, and alive to you. But let the, mess, the, let the full message of this joyful, Christ-exalting letter sink in that just as he was in Paul's life, that Jesus would be big in our lives. If Christ is all, then Christ is enough for us. So let's pray. God, we thank you for, um, for your word that is spoken to us afresh each time we open it. We thank you for this letter to the Philippian church that could just as easily have been a letter to the Wodonga church. It has spoken to us week by week, God, as we've come to its pages, as we've heard your words spoken to us. God, they're words that challenge us, inspire us, encourage us, strengthen us, that give us a, a vision of what it is to live as a citizen of your kingdom, to live this different life. But above all, God, they're words that point us to Jesus to point us to Jesus as the source of all of our joy, as the source of all our comfort and contentment, as we've looked at tonight. And so, God, I pray for us in having spent this time in your word, in this letter, 
God, I pray that we will go and read it through a few times for ourselves in this week. But, but in having sat in this letter for this time, certainly Paul's desire, certainly your desire, certainly mine and David's desire is that Jesus, you would be made much of in our lives. That our hearts, our, our desires, our affections, our, our thoughts, our attentions would be so fixed on you, God. Uh, so fixed on, on, on Jesus, this, the one, there's no other name like him. Um, God, that we will just be changed into his likeness. And that we'll live as citizens of his kingdom in a way that stands out from those around us. That we'll have a joy that comes from a, a source that is deep and rich and, and never-ending, no matter what we face. And that as we exalt Christ, as we exude his joy, that we will shine like stars in the universe. Shining amongst the, this dark and perverse and twisted world, uh, as Philippians tells us. May you be all to us, we pray. May Jesus be enough. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.